Welcome to the Stuttgart Missional Community Church Sermon Podcast. SMCC is a multicultural church serving the English-speaking community in Stuttgart, Germany. For more information or to contact us, visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net. Today, we are in the book of Ezra as we continue our study through the entire Old Testament. We've just been having a wonderful time and seeing God's faithfulness all through the Old Testament. Today is no different. We're going to see God's faithfulness. Uh, and today, we're really talking about worship. Uh, and what you know, sometimes we relegate worship to the first 15 minutes of the service. Some, for some of you, that's the 15 most uncomfortable moments of the service, right? Minutes of the service. But I want to tell you that worship is more than singing. It's definitely more than singing on key or on uh, singing the right notes. Or it, it, Worship is a matter of our heart, and it really stems from our understanding of who God is. Now, I don't often quote uh, Anglican bishops. I don't, I don't know. I just don't read much Anglican stuff. But N.T. Wright, an Anglican bishop and author, says this about worship. If your idea of God, your idea of salvation offered in Christ is vague or remote, your idea of worship will be fuzzy and ill-informed. The closer you get to the truth, the clearer becomes the beauty, and the more you will find worship welling up within you. That's why theology and worship belong together. The one isn't just a head trip, and the other isn't just emotion. Theology and worship work together. You know, when Stacy is choosing songs for us to sing as a congregation, we're not just singing songs that make us feel good or songs that, are, that we hear on the radio. Stacy's picking songs that reinforce solid Christian theology, that exalt the Lord. You know, the church, is it the, I think it's the Church of Christ. They, uh, this denomination, they don't have, many of them don't have instruments, and they sing the Psalms. And man, while okay, I'm not willing to go to that extreme. Okay, that's not where I'm at. But I, I can appreciate their heart in it because the Psalms are just so much of the exaltation of God. Uh, there's so much about lifting up the name that is above all names. And uh, I think that as we, as we grow closer to Christ, as we understand the subject of our worship, the object of our worship, then our worship becomes more authentic, it becomes more real, and it becomes more satisfactory. Conversely, the less we know Jesus, the less we've experienced of his mercy and his grace, our worship is vague. It's unenthusiastic, and most of all, it's unsatisfactory. We're not, we're not leaving the worship service encouraged or strengthened. We're leaving tired and worn out because we've had to put so much effort in to manufacturing this worship thing. And that's just not the way God has designed it. Worship comes from the inside. It's an outward manifestation of the inward work of Christ in each and every one of us. The form and content of our worship reveals the object of our worship. And the truth is, we all worship. I don't know about you, but before I came to Christ, I worshiped something. The people that you know in your workplace, and your social groups, and maybe not, not all of them are Christians. Hopefully they're all not, right? And some of them they have different interests, and you can kind of discern what they might be worshiping, what's most important in their life, what they sacrifice the most for, both their time and their money, what they live for, and certainly what they can't live without. 
you, you can kind of discern that. Everybody worships something. Remember that. Even the most hardcore atheist is worshiping something. The question is not if we worship. The question is actually, what do we worship? In Ezra, we're going to see how God is faithful to bless and preserve his people. And how that picture of blessing and faithfulness is a picture of Jesus Christ's faithfulness to us. And his faithfulness to us leads us to worship. We also see that it's God's activity, what he has done on our behalf, that frees us to worship him. And by experiencing authentic worship in our day-to-day life, not just on Sundays, we see that God more inhabits those praises and that worship, and then he becomes a greater part of our life, which leads to greater worship and celebration of the work of God in our lives. So if you have found Ezra, which I hope you have, it's also a small book, not as small as last week, not as small as Obadiah, nothing is as small as Obadiah in the Old Testament, but Ezra is also small. And while it can be hard to draw uh, a line from the Old Testament, especially some of these more specific circumstances, the rebuilding of the temple, the rebuilding of the wall, some of the other things that happen in the Old Testament, it can be hard to get a parallel to today. In this case, it's not so. We see that Really, the book of Ezra, though about the temple, it's also about, it's mainly about worship. It's mainly about worshiping God. So what's happening in the book of Ezra? Where do we find ourselves? Well, the days of the exile is coming to an end. The book, the events of the book happen around 538 B.C., roughly 70 years after the beginning of the exile. The prophet Jeremiah said the exile would last 70 years. And after 70 years, God is ready to end their exile, and he moves upon a secular king, a king who doesn't worship the God of the universe, the one true God, but the king of Persia, which is modern-day Iran. Uh, uh, He moves upon his heart to reestablish the temple in Jerusalem and sending the exiles home. So that's where we're at. We're in Ezra chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to read the first five verses, and we're going to skip around a little bit. Then we're going to, uh, after that, we'll go to chapter 3. But first, chapter 1, verse 1. In the year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout his kingdom and also put it, putting it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem." And let each survivor, in whatever place he sojourns, be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold, with goods and with beasts, besides freewill offerings for the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. Then rose up the heads of the fathers' houses in Judah and Benjamin, and the priests of the Levites, everyone whose whose spirit God had stirred to rebuild the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. So here, in this first entering, these first few uh, verses in Ezra, we see that God is worthy of worship. Cyrus has nothing to do with who he refers to as the God that is in Jerusalem. See, Cyrus doesn't, is not having an, uh, an epiphany. God has moved on his life, but Cyrus is not ready to worship God. He is saying, this is the God of Jerusalem. I, have, I definitely feel led to let these people go, 
back to their homeland and rebuild the temple. But he's not going to be worshiping God. He's just sending them away. And just like he did in Egypt, God is moved on Cyrus's heart like he did on Pharaoh's heart that, that the people as they leave should be blessed by those who were their captors, right? And he's saying, not only are you going to give them the, the articles of the temple back, you're going to bless them with beasts and with food, and then you're going to give a free will offering for the temple to be rebuilt. That's pretty amazing. Now, Cyrus is the king of pretty much the known world. He's already beat the Assyrians and the Babylonians, two huge kingdoms, and now he's kind of the sole ruler here. And he has no motivation whatsoever to let these people go back to their homeland. I mean, after all, they're being productive members of his community, even under compulsion. And so why would he let them go? Well, because God said so. And Cyrus might have not been a holy king, but at least he had enough sense to obey God. Amen? Right? I mean, I know Christians who don't have enough sense to do that, right? And so here Cyrus is obeying God, and he's sending them back to their homeland. And God, this just shows us that God is worthy of worship because he is sovereign over the world. Even His will is even accomplished through corrupt political and cultural systems that are far from God-honoring. Somebody say Amen. It doesn't matter if the government worships God or not. He is still the Lord over them. You understand? And here is Cyrus. He's not serving God, but God is still God, and he's moving. I read in the paper today, and I'm sure a lot of you have been following the events in Iran, that there's a huge political uprising in Iran, and uh, people are protesting their own government, as they should, right? And God is sovereign over Iran, He's sovereign over North Korea. He's sovereign over the, some of the most difficult and horrible places in the world. And, I mean, church, when this happens, when people start standing up and fighting for freedom, I think it's the duty of the church to pray for them, pray for that success, that they gain the freedom, because where there's freedom, the gospel might be preached, and they might be saved, amen? And so we want the freedom to preach the gospel in Iran. We want freedom to preach the gospel in the hard places, and that can only be done if these people win their own freedom from their government and the tyranny that rules over them. The church is stirred by the events that, of, of what God b- brings to bear upon it. Right? We worship God because of what he's done for us. And the Lord stirred the heart of King Cyrus. He stirred him to a point where he had to let them go. And uh, there's no doubt God moved upon his heart. And, and I think Christians, church, we should also be praying that God move upon the hearts of our leaders. You know, people say, well, you know, I'm praying for our president. I'm praying for our, our Congress. I'm praying for our leaders. And I'm praying for Merkel. I'm praying, I'm praying for our leaders. He said, why, why are you praying for them? They're just horrible people. Some people would say that. Maybe they are, but that's why I'm praying for them. I want them to be led by God. I want God to intervene. I want President Trump to be so stirred by the Spirit of God that he cannot deny doing the right thing, right? That's what I want. I want that for all leaders, right? Maybe they don't serve God. That doesn't mean God can't move on them. It doesn't mean God can't do something if the church would just pray, if the church would just ask. God is faithful to his promises. This is another thing we see throughout the entire Old Testament, only reinforced in Ezra. He said 70 years is going to be your exile. I'm sending you in exile that you might worship me as God. He sends them away. Jeremiah says they're going to come back in 70 years. That's exactly what happens. He is faithful. Not only does he bring them back, he brings them back with the loot. He brings them back with the, 
the treasures of the temple. He blesses them so that they might reestablish their place in their homeland. This is awesome. And if this picture of faithfulness is just a smidgen of God's faithfulness through Jesus Christ, we can trust that God will keep his promises. And you might have come from a broken home. You may have come from from a lot of hurts and a background, even in the church where you've been just hurt, devastated by activity in the church and the, the unfortunate behavior of sin, sinful people. I want to tell you, that's not God. That's people. You know, if you've been abused, that's not God. That's your abuser. Jesus is faithful. He keeps his promises, and he has promised to never leave us or forsake us. He has promised to return for his church. He has promised to take us home, to end our exile, amen, to end our exile, for all things to be made right. He is faithful. I hope that over these last, this last year and a half, you have come to the understanding that God keeps his promises. We also learn that he is our great God. He is great. The Bible says in Chronicles, for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and he is to be feared above all God's little G. Psalms 48 says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, his holy mountain. Psalms 96 says, For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Psalms 145, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. See, that's why I love the Psalms, man. They're just lifting up. God. How great is our God? How great is the God of the universe? He is worthy, church, of our praise. He is worthy of every, he is worthy of looking like a fool and raising our hands and clapping and singing. He is worthy of us being ostracized at work. He is worthy of us. He is worthy of any embarrassment we can endure. He is worthy of any sacrifice we could make. He is worthy to be praised. Go on with me to chapter 3. After they had returned, they set the altar in its place. This is verse 3 we start at. They set the altar in its place, for fear was on them because of the people of the lands. And they offered burnt offerings to it on, uh, on it to the Lord, burnt offerings morning and evening. And they kept the feasts of booths, as it is written, and offered the daily burnt offerings by number, according to the rule, as each day required. And after that, the regular burnt offerings, the offerings at the new moon and in all the appointed feasts of the Lord, and the offerings of everyone who made a freewill offering of the Lord. From the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, but the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid. The first thing they did when they got back to the promised land, when they got back to the land that God had given them, is live in obedience. They start obeying God's word. They started keeping the sacrifice sacrifices, started keeping the holy days. They started living in obedience. I think they had maybe learned their lesson in exile. And here they're like, okay, this didn't work for us before, doing our own thing, right? God is actually working for our good. He's not just there to irritate us and make us do all these things. You know, I want to eat this sheep. I don't want to sacrifice it. You know, he, that's not what God's about. God is about working for our good. He was working for the good of the people in the Old Testament as well. Unfortunately, they had to be removed from their situation in order to see it. But they get back and they immediately start living in obedience. They understand that God had allowed them to go into captivity. They understood why they were in captivity. 
and they knew who could keep them out of captivity. Remember, they left. They didn't have an army. They didn't have swords. They were blessed with gold and food and stuff like that, but they didn't have any way to defend themselves, and they were easy prey. And so they started offering sacrifices immediately, even before the temple was built. They're just like, we're just going to worship God. We're just going to live in obedience. He is our shelter. He is our protector. He is the one who's going to sustain us as a people. So we're going to worship him and live in obedience to his word. And maybe it's out of a holy fear, and I think that's okay. Because when you understand how great and mighty God is and how he keeps his promises, you also understand that he's just that he's just and that he is almighty. You know, I think it was Jonathan Edwards who wrote a sermon with the the title itself is just staggering. It's uh, uh, sinners in the hands of an angry God. It's like, oh my gosh, I don't want to, I probably, yeah, you can't really maybe preach that today. But yeah, just what that, you know, that God is almighty and powerful. And when it all is said and done, no matter how wonderful you sing, whether you raise your hands or not, whether you keep your hands in your pocket, I don't know how you can do that, but whatever. If, if, if that's you, that's fine. But the most authentic form of worship is obedience. Obedience. Not just coming to church and singing songs and your attendance is important. Your giving is important. Those are all important aspects. But obedience to the Word of God is a sincere form of worship. And it extends to every area of our life. Think about it. Why do we... Exo- why do we hold the Bible, God's Word, in such high regard? Well, it's God's Word. Do you understand that it's God's Word that hung the stars in the sky, that, that made every mountain raise from the crust of the earth, the, those beautiful Alps that we love to ski in and visit, that God, by His Word, raised those mountains and He could level them? With the same word? Do you understand that there's power in his word? That that as a church, SMCC confesses that the Bible is our authority for life and conduct? Do you understand that, that there's power in his word? There's power in his word. We keep his commandments. We keep his word out of obedience. It's the most authentic form of worship, living our lives under the authority of Scripture. More about that in a minute. The Bible says, John's, uh, excuse me, Jesus says in John, the Bible also says this because it's in the Bible, John 14, 15, if you love me, Jesus says, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. We might, today, you might not be able to put your arms around Jesus. You may not be able to touch his feet or lay your crown down. I think one day we all will see Jesus. We all will have an opportunity to see Jesus face to face, some for a moment, some for eternity. But regardless of that, you will see Jesus. But until that day, how do you show Jesus you love him? How do you put your arms around him? How do you give him a hug? How do you do do that? You live in obedience. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you trust me, if you believe I'm sovereign, if Jesus is Lord, you will say yes to his commandments. You won't buck against them. You will actually seek out the discipline of the Lord. You will actually, you will actually welcome it because you understand that Jesus loves you and he wants the best for you. See, when we serve, we serve from obedience. When we give, we give out of obedience. When we sing, it's from obedience. When we sacrifice, it's from obedience. And when we go, it's out of obedience. But there can be no obedience without a recognition of authority. This is, this is, the, this is so key, church. 
Because I, 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 in my time as a leader in the church, as a pastor, I've seen so many people who go through all the effort of being a Christian, but don't live under the obedience, don't live under the authority of Scripture, right? Meaning, God says it, I do it. That, that if the Bible says it, I'm going to do it. I'm not going to justify, I'm not going to argue with God, I'm just going to do it. There has to be a recognition of, the author- of authority. If you don't have a recognition of authority, I have news for you. You're not worshiping God, you're worshiping yourself. You've made yourself God. You are the highest authority. Even the word of God is subject to your wisdom. Does that make sense? Is that, where the, word, is that the place the word of God should have in our lives, subject to the, the wisdom of man for our interpretation? It doesn't apply to this day, this time. That's a load of baloney. It applies to every day and every time. And we can live our lives by it. We can trust it. It is the word of God. And we must live our lives under its authority. We cannot be the highest authority. Do you understand that? Do you understand what the world would be like? Do you understand what the church would look like? It would be horrible. Absolutely horrible. God's word is the authority for our life and conduct. Somebody please say amen. Please affirm you understand that. God is more than our Father. He is the great I Am. Jesus is more than a Savior. He is Lord. And the Holy Spirit is more than a divine helper. He is, di- he is divine. He is an equal part of the Godhead. We will not walk in obedience, church, until we recognize God's sovereign authority over our lives. This is, this is absolutely key. And one of the biggest points of contention in authority is giving. I'm just taking this for example. Now, let me just preface all this by saying, no matter how much the church gives, I do not personally benefit from it, okay? There's no gold Bentley in my future, all right? There's not even a Mercedes S-Class, but if somebody wanted to give it to me, I'd say, okay. (laughs) None of that. I don't personally benefit from that. More, you can find out all about the church finances in a couple of months. We'll talk about it. But this idea of justifying stinginess because, well, tithing is an Old Testament principle. It's not a New Testament thing. God just accepts whatever I give him in the New Testament. That's not true. That's absolutely not true. Tithing is Old Testament. I agree with you in that. New Testament giving, as I said earlier, is everything. So what do we teach here at the church? Tithing is where you start giving, right? If you're a new Christian, like I was one day, Right, and I thought putting a fifty as the bucket came by was a good thing. I, oh man, fifty bucks—that's a lot of money. You know, uh, that's good enough. No, giving starts at the tithe. Okay, but we don't believe that's where it stops. It doesn't stop there. It's just—it's a place. It's a number to start at. Where we give is generously, generously, and that's different for everybody. Oswald—not uh, Oswald Chambers, but uh, C.S. Lewis says, "How much should we give until it hurts? Until it hurts." That's where it's at. That's, and this is a big thing. Of, why do I bring this up? I don't like talking about giving. You think it makes you uncomfortable? I mean, look at me. I'm standing up. There's, uh, there's 100 people in here staring at me like, why are you talking about money? I don't like it. I don't like it. And, and this is where I got yelly with the first service. I'm going to try to keep it cool for this service, right? But Because I want you to know that when I'm talking like this, it's not for my benefit. It's because I love you. 
It's because I want what's best for you. I want God's blessing on your life. God does not bless disobedience. Hello, Old Testament, disobedience not blessed. Exile, that's where disobedience leads, right? Blessing comes from obedience, walking and trusting God. And that means trusting him with our finances. And I talk about finances because it's just the most obvious and probably one of the largest, you know, you know, greatest, most disregarded portions of Scripture ever, right? It's just like, well, my obedience stops at giving. Why? Why? To think if Jesus would have cut it short. My obedience stops at riding the donkey into town. That's it. It's over. I'm done. I'm not going to the cross. I'm not going to finish it. My obedience stops here. It just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Our obedience carries it through every aspect of our lives, even that which makes us uncomfortable and makes us exercise our faith. God forbid we have to actually trust him in a tangible way, right? But finances is one of those things. There's many other ways. This is just one illustration. Ezra 3.10. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple, the priests and their vestments came forward with trumpets. And the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with symbols to praise the Lord, according to the directions of David, king of Israel. One of the greatest worshipers of all time. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord. For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever towards Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout. And they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of the father's houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid. Though many shouted aloud for joy so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. For the people shouted with a great shout and the sound was heard far away. What we see here is a declaration of worship. That's what we, we for sure see it in the first, the first couple verses here, right? We see them shouting, blowing trumpets. But then we get into this weird part kind of here in the middle where there's some crying and some weeping. And I'm trying to bring this into context. Where, where, what is this like today? Well, remember, the temple was glorious. Solomon's temple was awesome and glorious. And some of these people had seen it, okay? And now this new, this new temple... Ah, it wasn't so great, right? It was basically an altar and a floor. That's it. And there's a lot of rejoicing going on. But the people who had remembered the old days, the glorious old days, they were crying. Because not everything was in its place. Not everything was exactly as it ought to be. See, church, sometimes, and even in the Old Testament, we get distracted by the external things instead of focusing on our worship of the one true God. It's because everything's not in its place, or it's not exactly how I like it. It makes me a little bit uncomfortable. Or it was better there. Remember there? Remember that last place we came from before we came to Stuttgart and we had to go to SMCC because there were no other options? Hey, I get it. I get it. You probably came from a great church in the States with like a huge HD TVs and laser beams and smoke machines, a 40-person worship team that was just killing it every single week. That's awesome. Praise the Lord for that. That's not here. Guess what? You're playing the hand you're dealt. So am I. So am I. We all are because we're in, we're, we're in a place that's different. And, it, it, and I'm glad you came from a great church. It's not here, though. Right? And we're doing the best we can. 
right? We're doing the best we can, but you can get distracted by all that, right? You you could be thinking, oh man, I just wish I was back in Virginia Beach, or I wish I was back in San Diego, or I wish I was back at Fort Leonard Wood. No, nobody says that. But you know, (laughs) you say, I wish I was there. Remember this, remember that. Instead of, you know what? Maybe it's not all that. Maybe it's not what you had, but God's still Lord here. Jesus is still Lord. He is still worthy of worship. And though it's not as polished, maybe, I know our band, their heart is to lead you in worship. Not put on a show, but to lead you in worship. The heart of our children's workers is to serve you by teaching your kids about Jesus. Right? And, and it, it's a church, and we're here to worship God. Instead of getting distracted and weeping about all that you don't have, can't you just celebrate God? And that's what, that's what these, that the younger people were doing. They had been re- returned from exile. I mean, what, what are these old people thinking? They were in exile. Now they're in the promised land again, offering praise on their own turf. And instead of focusing on that, they were just focused on all this superficial stuff. Church, it doesn't matter. I, I could be the only idiot clapping my hands up here. I'm going to clap anyway. I might be the only person raising my I'm going to raise my I don't care because I'm not going to let the people around me stop me from worshiping God. And let me tell you something, it comes out of the overflow. If you really realize what God has done in you, then worship is the natural manifestation that's pouring out of you, period. And that's exactly what's happening here. These people are worshiping God. The shouts, I'm so grateful that the scriptures record that the shouts were louder than the weeping. And church, I pray that that's always the case here. That the shouts of joy and praise outweigh those who would lament and be saddened by their experience here, but that we would continue pushing forward, worshiping God, experiencing the miraculous as we push forward in Christ. Amen? And I want to tell you that, you know, we all kind of poke fun at super enthusiastic people, right? And uh, I'm not usually that guy. I can get pretty enthusiastic about some things, but not everything. But our worship of the Lord is, again, comes from the inside, And when you realize what God has done in you, then worship is natural. But I think this is a stumbling block for a lot of people because either God has done nothing or you don't understand the greatness of what God has done in your life, whether you've had an ear grow back or not, right? If God's done a miracle in delivering you from or healing you from cancer or not, you have all experienced, if you're a Christian, the miracle of salvation. And whether you were physically blind, you were blind, right? Whether you were physically deaf or not, you were deaf. Whether you were physically lame or not, you were lame. But it's Jesus Christ who has set you free, who has rescued you from the depths of your absolute depravity and lifted you up to the status of son of God, daughter of God. That is a miracle. He is worthy of praise. And when we understand that, praise becomes natural. Stacy doesn't have to get up here and say, clap your hands. Stacy doesn't have to say, sing. You'll sing. Because God has done something for you. And we see this in the Bible. The guy who was born blind, he is testifying before the leaders of the the religious leaders of the day. And though he could go to jail for blasphemy, they asked him, what would this guy do for you? He said, I don't know if he's a son of God or not. I don't know what has happened. What I do know is I was blind, now I see. Jesus healed the lepers. He said, don't go tell anybody what I've done for you. What'd they do? They told everybody. They immediately disobeyed God. That's interesting. But... They went and told everyone what the Lord had done. Why? Because it's natural. 
You know, Alex was up here a few weeks ago testifying what God had done for his son. Nobody's going to shut Alex up about that, right? Celia and Damon still telling the story of their daughter, Leonora, born miraculously, right? Wasn't expected to survive. Doctors gave her zero chance. She's downstairs in preschool right now, right? You, you, can't, you can't shut up people who have had that kind of experience. One of the most powerful illustrations in the Bible is the woman at the well who Jesus is conversing with, and he says basically what everybody else already knew, that this woman was a tramp, right? I mean, frankly, she, she's like, you know, well, go tell your husband. And she's like, well, the man I'm with isn't my husband. She, he's like, yeah, and neither was the five before, right? And she's like, whoa, right? And he's conversing with her, and she is so impressed by the presence of God and him speaking into her life that she runs into the village and says and tells, come meet the man who told me everything I've ever done. And the whole village is like, we know everything you've already done. You've done it with half of us, right? We know. But she doesn't even care. There's no shame in it anymore. Because she was blind, now she sees. She was deaf, now she hears. She was lame, now she walks. She doesn't care. Her past no longer has dominion over her. All that has, all she has left is praise. All she has left is come see Jesus. Church, church, this is, the, this is our testimony. You don't have to take a class. You don't have to read a book. You should read books. Leaders are readers. You should read books. But you don't have to read a book to say, come see Jesus. Come see the man who saved my life, who reached down to me when I had nothing. I thought I had something. I had nothing. And he reached down and he touched my heart and he saved my soul. This is not a call of a missionary or a pastor. This is the testimony of a broken soul giving praise to God because praise is declaration. Worship is declaration. And it is natural. It is natural for those who have experienced redemption because redemption and restoration always result in the same outcome. Worship. Worship. He is worthy of our worship. If you have a hard time praising the Lord, I encourage you to meditate on what God has done for you. To meditate on if He has done anything for you. Right? There's a difference between conversion and transformation. Right? There's a difference between raising your hand, accepting Jesus Christ, and the transformative work that Jesus does through the believer. There's a difference there. Right? Being born again is exactly that. It's receiving a new heart. Right? That heart of stone replaced with a heart of flesh that can receive instruction and respond to God's authority in our lives. It's a transformed heart, and it's that transformed heart that just gives natural worship to God. It's not supposed to be an effort. If you come here and you got to kick and you're coming every week kicking and screaming, you leave exhausted from all the effort you have to put forth, you're just doing it wrong. You're just doing it wrong. You've put the cart before the horse. Give your heart to Jesus and then come worship and you'll find it flowing out of you as natural as it was for the people of Ezra's day who were just sh- shouting and giving praise and blowing trumpets. The awful, beautiful noise that must have been wasn't coordinated. They didn't have a screen, you know, they didn't have lights. They were just praising, man. They were just giving it up for God. Let us be a worshiping church. A church laying it all out every single day, not every single Sunday, 
every day that ends in Y, let us be praising the Lord. Thank you for listening to the SMCC Sermon Podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net.